Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to interview some of the most influential people involved in the fishing world today. Here I learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both on and off the water. There are few people who have had as big of an impact on the fishing industry as Krister Schoberg. It's tough to put a label on this ambitious entrepreneur. Krister founded Loop Tackle in 1979, and while it is what he is best known for, he is also the owner of Solid Adventures and several successful fishing lodges around the world. From lodges in Norway, Russia, Cuba, and Argentina, I met with him in his lodge on the Rio Gallegos, where I was eager to finally hear the story behind the man who has so much to tell. How do you say your last name? Schoberg? Schoberg. What? <laughs> I, I should change it. <laughs> no, Sjöberg. Okay. That's the Swedish pronunciation. In America, they say Schuberg. Right. But it's, it's spelled S-G-O with the two dots over. It's typically Swedish spelling. Right. B-E-R-G. Schuberg. Schuberg. Yeah. And you say it? Sjöberg. <laughs> <laughs> totally different. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody knows who you are. Or has heard of the man behind Loop, really. But nobody knows anything about you. I have tried a long time to keep it that way. <laughs> yeah? Are you okay with this? Yes. <laughs> so, how did you even get started, just not even in the industry, but in fishing in general? You know, I've, I was raised on a small farm when Ooh. I was a kid. Or in the summers, we had a small farm with many lakes. The only thing I did was catching frogs, worms... Everything that I could find, that I could put in a hook into, and to have a piece of nylon, threw it out in the lake, put put the nylon around some branch or something, then I couldn't sleep. Ah, what's there tomorrow? You know, it was very exciting. And I, wow. 
I have uh, grasshoppers, everything that was alive that I thought the perch or pike or whatever could bite. Right. Then I had my, of course, my uh, coarse fishing, fishing perch every day, fishing pikes. So I, I, that was simply my interest and since I was born, I think. In Sweden? In Sweden, yes. Did your father fish with you? I hate that question, but mm. did he? You know, I'll tell you the true story. Yeah. My mom and my father, they divorced when I was three years old. Okay. Because my father was on the fishing. And this is true. And I didn't know about this until he died suddenly. He was not more than uh, 60 years old. Then everything was coming to me because my mother protected me against this evil person that was only fishing. He was in the mountains. So when he died, I had to go up and, and fix, uh, uh, look at it, where he lived and everything. Then I found fly rods and split cane, spin fishing tackle. All his house was just full of fishing tackle. And believe me, I had no clue about that. Wow. Then I attacked my mother, of course. I was pissed. Why didn't you tell me this? No, because he, he didn't take care of me. He, he didn't care about anything else than fishing. Yeah, fine. I don't care about anything else than fishing either. It would have been very nice for me to know when I was a kid. How old were you when he died? 23, 24. And you found all, all uh, his and stuff? And that was exactly the same time as I started Loop. Okay. So I just started the fishing company when he suddenly died. Why? What prompted you to... No, because uh, it, it was very simple. When I met my wife, still my wife, we were 22, 23, and uh, she found, because I didn't fish there for four or five years, it was more interesting to run on in discotheques to find women and stuff. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> they worked took all the time and the discotheques took the, took the rest of the time. So that, that was natural, I guess. It's, it's a process in every man's life. Yeah. Then she moved into me in my house, and I had, of course, my old fishing tackle since I was a kid. Right. And uh, she asked me, Christer, uh, do you like to fish? Yeah, how do you know that? Now I was looking in your, in your closet. Yeah, 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 I love to fish, but it has been a little bit uh, time since we did it. Yeah, shall we go on vacation this summer together? She said, yeah, of course we shall. We go fishing, she said. Yes, of course we do. <laughs> We go to the mountain, she said. Yes, of course. So I, I arranged some tents and uh, I didn't know anything about fly fishing. And I never seen it in a magazine. I never seen it in TV. There was not fly fishing in Sweden. What I learned later was there were some small companies that were selling some fly tying equipment. There were some few people that was doing fly fishing. But it was unheard of. In magazines, there was no writings. There was no, uh, nearly nothing. How old are you now? 62. Okay, so you were 24 at this time? Yeah, around. Wow, it's, it's, it's yeah. a long enough time ago. It's around 40 years. Wow. So we said, okay, because I was actually with my stepfather one time up in the mountains in Sweden uh, when I was seven, eight, right. fishing for trout. Then we had a, a bubble that we filled with water and we had three flies behind. So I remember that. So I, uh, I went to the f fishing shops and I bought a floater and some wet flies, and I bought a tent for us to live in, and uh, off we went, up in the mountains. Right. So we had each spinning rod with each bubble, and uh, 
our nice tent and, and uh, one and an week. engagement ring because yeah. you're going to ask her to marry uh, now at this point. Yeah, more or less. Then we went up to the mountains and I was working as a salesman these years. So I, I had a very good income. Right. A lot of income. Then we come up to this place uh, and there we rented an aircraft because I wanted really the most remote. I, I didn't want to go where everyone else was. Uh, we want, I wanted something special. This was our first vacation together. It must be special. Right. So I asked this guy, what is the most remote place where we don't see anyone that no one has fished for years? I have a special place for you. So he took us there and uh, went up and put up the tent and uh, uh, began to fish. Right. And she was more into cooking than fishing, I can tell you that. Soon as I entered the river, she was in the tent. Meatballs! <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay, thank you for the meatballs, darling. Uh, uh, I go back to the river. Okay, yeah, bye-bye, I come, I come soon. She came, made some calls, went back. Pancakes! <laughs> Shit, again. <laughs> so, I couldn't even fish. She was cooking all the time and she was out fishing a little bit. And mos mosquitoes didn't care about her because she came from this area. She's born there. Ah. I think it was that. They loved mosquitoes. They loved me, but they hated her. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, I was walking this little stream. It was a beautiful stream with sand bottom and stones. And you could see the fish. I mean, and there was one fish especially that changed, I think, my life. But what kind of fish are That was trout. Okay. Trout Rain and shark. Brown trout. Brown trout. Okay. And it was one big guy. I, I estimated him to be six, seven kilos. Whoa! And uh, there was a lot of shards and ordinary brown trouts, one kilo. But this guy, he was big. I caused him my floater. Soon as it landed on the water, he digged his head into the sand and I could see his tail was trying to get under the sand. He really didn't like my floater. So, ah, 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 I have an idea. I walked up 200 meters, casted out the thing there. And then sneaked in a bush along the river. Soon as he saw my floating, down in the ground. Again. Okay. I go one kilometer up. I will take you one day or another. And I run back to the camp. Ah, there's a big trout there. You must follow. Take a look. Ah, we were looking at that trout. And we tried. We tried for three, four days. And I was still trying. One day I was sitting on that stone. I was looking at this guy. Then I hear a noise behind me. It was, the bushes was bending and, and uh, I thought it was a bear and I'm deadly scared of bears. That's why I never go to Alaska. So I was prepared to jump into the river and begin to swim. Then I saw a cowboy hat. In Sweden, cowboy hats is not usual. And I saw a stick was coming up in the bushes. Just a cowboy hat and a stick. And someone was coming, walking. I thought we were uh, in an area where no one could come. So then... Um, this guy came and he had a very strange rod and with a very strange reel that I had never seen. And uh, said, uh, hello? And I asked, how did you get here? I've been walking. Walking? said, I took the airplane. That's much more convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you walk all the way here? Ah, how long was it? Ah, 12 hours. Okay. Can, can I cast on that fish? He said, if you walk 12 hours, be my guest. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, but you should know, he, we have a special relation that fish and I, so, okay, but you can try. And then I saw for the first time, the fly line was moving in there, bang, 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 and something silent landed on the surface. 
And now the chart, I looked at him. The fans came out and he slowly, slowly went up and took that whatever it was that he threw out. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And he was fighting this with his yellow six corner rod that was very sloppy. <laughs> I could see. And he was fighting that fish and I could hear the bong from that stone. Bang, bang, bang. <sighs> My fish died. Oh, he killed it. Yeah, he yeah. killed it. Hang it. Everyone was killing everything Especially these days. Especially back then, yeah. yeah. Hanging it on the back, and he said, thank you, uh, it was very nice to meet you, sir. And disappeared, and I walked back to the camp. Next morning, I was depressed. But at the same time, I was very curious. How, how did he do that? Right. <laughs> because, the, I mean, you must think 40 years back now. No clue. So, plane came next day. We went uh, back to the car and was driving uh, on the main road along this big river. Then, it was evening. And I saw this fireplace, and I saw this cowboy hat. I stopped the car. So I ran in, and there was this guy sitting by the fireplace. All was fly fishermen. They had the fly rods, it was four or five people, and I recognized, do you, do you know me? I said, yeah, yeah, you, you were up there. People were very, really impressed with my trout. Yeah, I come back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Where were they from, these guys? Sweden. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, I said, now, please, explain to me, what did you do? Right. Show me this equipment and explain a little bit about this. Then they begin to tell about fly tying, about insects, and I begin to understand. And they said, they gave me the rod, and I was trying the rod. I saw exactly how he was doing, but no one told me, this is very hard, it's nearly impossible to learn. So I, I cast with that fly line, I cast it out the line. That was a piece of cake, yeah. because I saw exactly how he did it. Uh-huh. I didn't understand that I did something that was a little bit special. <laughs> right. So then, then when I was driving home, it's, it's a 12 hours good drive back to Stockholm from the mountains. Right. Then I passed all these lakes and the mountains and no people. And I begin to think about Germany, about the rest of the Europe, full with asphalt, destroyed nature, no more wildlife. I mean, you get this picture. Sweden is fantastic up in the north it's just wildlife wildlife is endless it's right. like little canada you can say and i said to anna Corin, my wife uh, wow i think i think i find what i want to do in my life i want to i want to do something with this new sport fly fishing i want to build launches can think about bringing up people to this wilderness in cooperation with the sami people the local indians we can build, we can let people live there, we can take care of the fish, but we should not kill fish like this. Right. This is what I said 40 years ago. Yeah. We, should, we should take care of them and, and bring in, bring in the people, tourists, to enjoy this nature. I mean, they are, they are losing the grip of, the, of their lives in these subways and in these uh, urban cities and everything. That's fine. But they need the balance. The balance in the life must be nature and the city life. Were there other lodges in Sweden? At the no, time? no, 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 no. No one talked about tourism at all. That was not existing. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I come home and I said, okay, how do I get these equipments? Then I went to the library because in the library there was magazines from all over the world. And I found fly fishing magazines there. So I found an English magazine with fly fishing. And I found a company called, I remember it crystal clear, Dermot Wilson in Stockbridge. Okay. Oh, he had a most golden name for a rod, and it called Silver Creek. Okay. Ah, 
I like this silver creek lodge, uh, rod. Look, look here. It's beautiful. It's brown in color. This is all bamboo still. No, no. That was the first glass fiber rod. Oh, we're in fiberglass. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we are in a modern area here nearly. And uh, the rod looked beautiful. And it was also an old style fly reel, you know, yeah. with a small center pin and everything. That, 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 that is today just memories. Uh, so I bought this tackle. And I also bought fly tying equipment with an instruction in English. That winter, Anna Karm was pregnant. So all winter, we were, she was talking about uh, reading the instructions. Take the thread between your forefinger <laughs> and your... It's, 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 stop, stop, stop. A little bit slower, please. Between what? Yeah, between the... Ah, come on. Between the finger and the... But fair. <laughs> we were struggling there. Wait, wait, so Anna was she yeah, was sitting she there. She was reading. She was reading, sitting, yeah. And I was trying to tie. <laughs> we, I knew I loved that woman for a reason. Uh, She's a great woman. That that winter there was no TV. We were tying flies and she didn't, but she was reading the instructions so I could I could do all the flag ties. Right. So then she was very much pregnant in the spring and I found out that there were some new lakes. This was the first years we introduced rainbow trouts in lakes in Sweden. Mm. That was the first years. And it was a TV program for one of the lakes close where I live. That I put stocked rainbow trouts for fly fishing. So it all happened at the same time. Yeah. And of course I called directly and booked a boat to go there. And I'm going to have to, now she had to row the boat. Wait, wait, is she still pregnant at this point? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rowing huge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she was, I think it was one week before uh, calculation. Oh my goodness, you guys are my heroes. Okay. <laughs> then I, I tortured her that day. <laughs> more to the left, more to the right. Faster, faster, stop, stop, stop. And she, she was completely sweat. Didn't protest, didn't say anything. And I was casting like a maniac. Yeah. And I caught a couple of rainbows, and, and she was so happy. And that, that's how it began. And then I had a boat, wood boat, uh, how many feet? 30 feet. Wow. Quite, quite big uh, wood boat. And I was in a fishing club for spring fishing. Mm-hmm. Then I had tied this winter. I had tied, uh, this was in the summer, our son was born. So we had to take him in a newborn to, to the boat to go fishing. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so then <laughs> they went out in this fishing club Every, we had 20 small boats in the big lake Mellor in Stockholm and everyone was been fishing with worms with everything I had a fly rod mm-hmm. with flies that I made myself in the winter streamers m- with marabou hair so I went out in the boat began to fly fish and everyone else in the club they just what is equally surprised as I was in the stream. Now they were surprised. And I caught perch in every cast. Ah. Every cast. And I said, I, I stop when I lose one cast without a perch. Then I stop immediately. 13th cast, 14th cast was no perch. Then I stopped. Mm, row in. Everyone stopped fishing, come back to me. What is going on? What do you do? And then I explained, oh, this is called fly fishing. Uh, it's a new sport, by the way. <laughs> can can we learn this? Yeah, of course. I know everything about it. I can write a book about it because <laughs> because I caught two rainbows and thirteen perch. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I must be a professional. <laughs> Did you teach them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone wanted. This is exactly why I started the the, the company. 
Because everyone would, would like to buy Tacket. Christy, you, you arrange Tacket for us. Because next Saturday, oh. you bring... I, I like one equipment. I like, okay, I had 12 people like equipment. Right. So I come home and I say, okay. I still had my old work as a salesman, but I had already now, I was focused to do, to take another path in my life. Okay, okay. I don't know anything how to create a company, but I had a friend. Is playing ice hockey and football in the same team as me since we were five years old, and he was working uh, or school in um, in a business school. Right. So, so, and he didn't know anything else about uh, fish than it was in a frying pan, like a four square piece. <laughs> right. He didn't know. I had to show him this is a fish. Here's the fan. Yeah, but it doesn't matter because the only thing you have to do is create a company mm-hmm. legally. You can split it. And then I will contact some suppliers, and then we can have a little hobby, the side of our works. So what year was this now? Oh, this must be in 79. Wow. Yeah. So was that when you created Loop? We started another company first. Okay, which was that? And that that was called Carpens Fly Fishing. Okay. And that was because my friend that had never seen a fish on a postcard, if I'm going to create a company, it must be my name on the company. But at this day, I didn't think about creating something. You know, it was so much uncertain, everything. So, yeah, yeah. What do you like to call a company? Carpus Fly Fishing. My name is Tony Carpusdam. I like my name on the company. <laughs> okay, fine, Tony. You do the books. I, I make the tackle, and, and we have some little hobby out of this. It was only four or five years after when uh, Jörn Andersson uh, came to our company and bought himself in. Ah. Then we changed name to Loop. Okay, so you had the company for a few years. Yeah. And then Joran? Joran. Came into Loop? Yeah. See, I didn't even know that. Ah. So was he a business partner of yours then? Joran was... Uh, we started the company. Right. Uh, I bought 12 equipments. Started a company like this. So I contacted some suppliers. I bought 12 equip- equipments at net price. Sold them at, at retail price. Oh, our first money was made. So you mean 12 people? Yeah, for, for, for the fishing club. That was the first we, we sold. And then I said, okay. Then I had a school with them. So the fishing club was now all into fly fishing. But my, either it was my schooling that was bad or their understanding that was bad. Because after one week, everyone was rowing with a fly rod hanging in the back. <laughs> 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 but anyway... I also, from the library, got the magazine, uh, an American magazine this time. And I saw an, aid, an advertising from a company called Sage. Oh, okay. It was a standing rod, and I liked that advert. It looked very nice. So now Sage started at the same time. So I called this company, and I got in contact with the owner of that company these days, Don Green, which was really one of the most honorable, nice persons. We we worked together later, 17 years based on a handshake. Nothing else. Wow. But then he sold the company and we feel a little bit uncertain what is going on if it's investment companies. We need to be, begin to build our own stuff. Uh, roads, reads, lines and the whole, the whole program. We cannot rely on being selling other people's brands because we know this enough good 
to make our own style of casting, to make our own style of, of, of rods, reels and everything. We had a good understanding these days. And that was very much because of Jörn Andersson. When Jörn came to the company, that was because I imported sage rods. Ah. And sage rods became very, very popular in very fast time because they were the first real graphite rods. There were some others before Lamy Glass and, and some others, but no one did anything with them. I mean, they were existing but not existing, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Then Joran got his hands over a sage rod and he was completely blown out. Because he's a great caster. He's the best. And he was, so he obviously was already fly fishing before he came yes. out of here. He was, he was fly fishing since he was a kid. And his father, Joran Willem Andersson, was also fly fisherman. Wow. And my fly, father was a fly fisherman. But that I didn't know. But so Joran was born into he was building rods since he was a kid. Uh, and Joran was in the Swedish casting. He was the world champion in casting with fly rods and everything. Right. And I didn't absolutely know who he was. Yeah. Okay? Suddenly I got the telephone call. Now we have been uh, having the company two, three years. Hello, my name is Joran Andersson. <laughs> Can I visit you? I like these sage rods. Okay. Okay, I said, you can visit. Then he came to the shop and said, I would like to be partner with you and in, and in this, this new company. I've seen your, your adverts and I like this. It's a new style. Then I said, do you know anything about fly fishing? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> can we go out with a fly rod? Yes, of course, he said. Shit, I... I, I felt embarrassed. I thought I thought I was a good caster, you know. I was a champ now, and everything. and here came this guy. He could cast the line around trees and upside down and left to right. It was simply a level that I didn't understand, and I think few people the coming years could understand that you could do all these tricks with fly rods. And there was no one, not even today, that knows as much about fly rod actions how the fly rod actions uh, combined with the taper and the weight of the fly line, combined with the leader, the thickness, the stiffness, the core stiffness of the line. All this is... A, there's no one that, that knows this more than Jörn Andersson. And, and then Jörn, he came into the company, of course. He, he by himself in, so now we were 33% owners. Okay, so there's three... So Tony was still there, running the office. Right. But all our money we make went into maps and, and computers. There was no money to buy tackle. He, Tony used everything for the office, so we always had a fight. <laughs> office <laughs> or marketing and selling. Yeah. That was a daily fight since 38 years, I think. <laughs> What's the company called at this point? Loop Tackle Design. So who changed it to Loop? What, when did you we, we, it? we did that. When Joran entered, I said, it's time, time, time to grow up now, boys. We, okay. it, now we have a chance. Look what Joran can do. I mean, this is the true master. Uh, and, and let's build a team and let's start education programs, start development programs, start all this. I saw the potential in Joran. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he didn't have... I was more marketing, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I liked the advertising, I liked uh, to, to, to take the tackle to the next level, because obviously with this guy, nothing was impossible. He's so technical. Isn't yeah, he? but he didn't know it himself. Ah, how old was he then? He was ten, he's 10 years older than me. He's older than you are? 
ten years. I've never met the man. I just have, no. have seen him and he's the and he's videos. the true legend. If, yeah, if you ask, if you ask me, everybody who's fished with him has amazing things to say about yeah. him. But I, I, I pushed him front in front. Of me. I had to drag out all the information from him, used it into this, uh, try to transform his knowledge into books, tries to transform it into into schooling systems. So we built a uh, fishing lodge. That was the first fishing lodge was in, in Orkla, uh, in Norway, River uh, 87. There I built a house for Joran, put him there, and I said, I will come with 120 people that would like to learn how to fly fishing. Wait, in 1987? Yeah. So you had you had a fishing lodge in Norway before you had Loop. Oh, uh, no, Loop was born uh, 82, 83, Okay, 82. so let's do a timeline here. So, Carpens, yeah, 79. Okay. 82, 83, Loop. 87, the first fishing lodge, mm. ourselves. The year before, we rented water in Gauna River in Norway, and we had our first fly fishing school, and it was the first time I was with Joran f- fishing for salmon. Ah, okay. Salmon fishing was a new experience. I mean, I know everything about perch and, and, and rainbows, <laughs> right? Two rainbows. Yeah, and, two uh, rainbows and 12 perch. <laughs> super proof. And um, we set up this school, and I was going to be the helper to Joran, the sec- Joran's second hand. Right. Every morning he said, Christian, go down and read the water temperature. Yes, sir! <laughs> <laughs> I did everything he said because I was so keen to learn, you know. Yeah. And he had all the keys. He was sitting to all these uh, things. So I, my ears was just standing out like this. <laughs> and then this was the days we... we, we had, these days we just designed the first Sage two-handed rods. They had no clue about two-hand fishing. So we designed the action and the corks and the grips and everything. And we had even Don Green over to Norway to show him two-hand fishing. Wow, okay. And, and that was the same year, by the way. Lee Wolf and Jung Wolf was also there with us. Yeah, I'm doing a timeline in my head here. Was it called the Loop Fishing Lodge? In, in uh, Gavla and Orkla. In Orkla it was called Loop. Okay. And you love it, yes, rented water. But this is before you're designing your own tapers. This is when you're still yeah. working with Sage. Yes. Okay. And this was the time when we, we, we made, we designed the first 200 rods with Sage, but we used a Norwegian brand for lines that was a double taper lines. Because these days, spay casting in England was one thing. Spay casting, you have a long dub- double taper line, and you have a long flexing rod. 15, 16 foot, and to load the rod, you must be over half the length of the, of, of, because it's thicker in the middle. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a lot of water splashing, a lot of lines splashing in the water, right? Right. And then you need an equal space behind. In our rivers, we had forest behind. Ah, oh, you didn't have room. So, then you have to cast alongside the river. But the fish, salmon. They like a fly coming fast as possible. Then you need to cast a cross. To cast a cross, if you have that line set up, you're in the bush behind and you splash too much. It was perfectly set up to spay casting for English rivers and where you have no forest and, and it was open, big, big spade rivers. Then you could cast maybe 45 degrees down. But that's not effective to catch fish, to catch salmon. 45 degrees, put your rod tip along the, ro- the bank, 
get maximum water pressure on the full length of the line, the speed up the fly, that's how you catch Atlantic salmon. So we were cutting double taper lines on the middle. We, we had measure instruments. If the tip was even, we, we cut off the tips. Then we waited and we made loops ourselves on the core of the line. Right. Then we attach a, a level line. Today it's called running lines. Mm -hmm. Then you had a certain weight that should load up the rod. But that certain shorter weight did not require any space behind. And then you made a longer leader. So when you push the line behind you, the leader lands silently side of your body. Then from there you could choose your angle and you could shoot the line at required distance. That is what we call an underhand casting. Today everyone is calling these heads, scandy heads and everything, because we patented the name underhand casting. So new companies, they cannot call it underhand casting, so they, they begin to sell it under scandy heads and everything. But all this came from Jörn Andersson. And no one should take that history away from him, because he changed fly fishing completely. Uh, into hand fishing. So the the first rod that you guys did with Sage was that the old brownie? Yeah. 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 So was that in the in the early nineties? When was that? That was late eighties, mid It was earlier than that even. So in the eighties. Maybe it was uh, years traveled so fast. I can't. Just, I cannot really say That's exactly. Because I'm just trying but, to think. I remember when the mid spay. I mean, I'm not old enough to be able to think back to a lot oh, maybe, of this. Maybe it was there in the beginning of 90, yeah? 25, so, yeah, it sounds about right. Because I learned on, I mean, I really learned on a wind cutter. And the wind cutter was still kind of cutting edge. It wasn't You know, the until... wind cutter, Jim Vincent, he came to us in River Orkla. Right. With Jöran. He was there weeks and tried to cost. <laughs> and then he went back and, and <clears throat> then he started Rio together with... but. All these lines they had, it's exactly the lines we cut from old double tapers. So you guys were doing underhand casting way before that? Way before that. Well, I didn't know that. Oh, we invented it long, long the, before everyone. In the 80s? Yeah. 70s, 80s? Yeah, 80s. Wow, okay, so and then... We, and we, we even have, we made a book and a film that is the evidence enough uh, with the sport fishing organizations in Sweden and Denmark. So we made the, the education material for, uh, for the sport to, to, uh, to educate new instructors. Right. So we worked with the organizations. We uh, told all the instructors how to do and what everything was all about. So they went out and that was how fly fishing just spread like, like boom wow. in, in Scandinavia. And it created more Scandinavian companies as a bonus also. So, yeah. so suddenly we had a big fight in Scandinavia be between, and many people came up uh, extremely good. I mean, we have a long line of, of extremely good people in Scandinavia from these years. Mm -hmm. Super good casters. But everything is born in Jöran's book and video that we made for the organizations. Then some people have rewritten it and they call it Crack the Code and they call it whatever. These are all people who was in our schools. I see. All, so, all these people that is say, they was our students. Okay, so it's definitely had an evolution. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. at this stage now, you've got Joran, you've got your other business partner, you've got Loop, mm -hmm. you're still mm -hmm. sell selling Sage, you're helping Sage with double hand rods, and you've got one... Lodge in Norway, is that right? In Norway, uh, in, in Orkla River. That was 87. 
So then when did you decide, you know what, I'm not going to work with Sage anymore. I'm going to design my own tapers and my own reels. That was 15 years ago. But before what happened after 87 was uh, in that area also, I had a customer. The history books must also be corrected in this with the large arborees. Because it was actually a customer that was calling me and wanted a name to a telephone number to a guy that had TV fishing shows. And I said, why? Ah, because I think this fly race is absolutely nuts. Why, I said. Yeah, because, you know, when the line goes out, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller diameter. And in the end of the line, it has to, to make ten times more turns to leave one meter because it's so little diameter. And it's more, and it's also equally five times stronger drag. And I lose fish of the fish of the fish because I have to use thin leaders and I have big fish. I said, this is ridiculous. So what is your idea? I said, I must say, it must be correct. Yeah, it should not be made like that. I have, uh, it must be a large arbor thing here. Uh, then I said, you shall not talk with this TV. I have a guy that lives quite close to you. His name is Jörn Andersson. I will send Jörn over to you. And the two of you can talk about these new ideas. So I called Jörn. I said, Jörn, there's a guy called Kurt Danielsson. He has some ideas about uh, new concept for reels. Go there, have a talk, and let's see what comes out of it. Dang, so then they were talking, and they come back to me, said, wow, we have, we have this idea. And Kurt, Kurt had made a, a, a reel that was, I mean, a bicycle. You, you, can, use, you can use it on a, <laughs> or, or, as a reel for, for a car. But one turn, the full fly line was in. And I said, this is not convenient, because when you move the road sideways, you get the swing weight and blah, blah. So after a lot of work together, the first loop reel came out. And we had these prototypes made when Don Green came to us in Orkla 87, 89, 88 or whenever it was. So he was fishing with that. And the purpose from the beginning, we didn't have any idea of, okay, let's make fly reels and become millionaires. No, it was for our own pleasure. Because these reels had no drag. And you cannot fish salmon without any drag. Yes, you can. Yes, you can, yeah. <laughs> we, we landed the salmon uh, five times faster because... It's like a hundred meters runner, right? If you run hundred meters, everything you can, you're dead. If you're a marathon guy, ah, you have some resistance. Uh, 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 can run for ages. So we, the sentence was absolutely, they had no resistance from the reel. So after the first rush, you just bring them in. It was amazing. And we had absolutely no, the only thing was against overrun. And Don Green, he fell in love with these reels. So then we, he, he asked, can you not make reels for us in America? For Sage. Yeah, for Sage. We call them Sage 703. And we had no machines. So we had to buy a CNC machine and put it in, in Kurt's garage. So Kurt was making them himself in his free time and mount them. So we, we made maybe a thousand reels for, uh, for Sage and three different sizes. Did they ever sell these reels? Yeah, yeah. In so America? They, yeah. I was... Visiting Sage, and I was in Kaufman's Greenborn in Seattle, and I saw our reel was sitting there, our first reel. And I asked the guy behind the counter, there was also another reel, I will not say the brand, but it weighted four, five times more, and it had a very heavy drag, and I, I should never personally use it when I have used our reel. Right. So I asked the guy, whose reel is most popular here? Ah, it's this, and he took the American reel. But this is very heavy, I said. Yeah, but look at the finish. 
No, I don't look at the finish. I look at the at the function. I said, yeah. yeah, what is the best function for you? I said, yeah, this is the, this protects leaders very good. But, but but look 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 feel look at this finish. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, but forget the finish. I was irritated. I, I went pissed. So look at the function. Forget it. People is out catching fish, and you have thin leader, and this heavy. How can you sell that? <laughs> you must be honest with your customers. This is ridiculous, I said. And Don Green was standing, he was smiling like hell. I bet and you Because I, I went into uh, fighting, Viking, Viking fighting mode. <laughs> I was prepared to take my sword and, you know. Uh, so, uh, but it was funny days. And uh, then after that, we begin to produce it because more people begin to ask. And then we made new models, and then we made new models. And suddenly one machine in Kurt's garage was not enough. So then we had to build a factory, and then we had ten machines, and then we had uh, uh, anodizing. And, and uh, you're still branding under stage at this point? No, loop. So when did that happen? That, uh, you ask, years. You must think about my age here. I know. Do you think I know everything? No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so no, Don, that, Don that, that, that must have been... It must have been late 80s. But it was after Don left. Did Don leave? I, I think it must have been 86 or 87 even. I, because guess, I guess what I'm trying to ask uh, 86. you... 86. Oh, okay. So it, it all happened in very, very short time then. Because what I'm trying to ask you, or what I'm trying to get to, and I just don't know how to tactfully ask, is when did you say, see you later, Sage, we have to do our own thing without you? Uh, that must have been... Uh, no, I don't think I said it. I think actually we said it to each other that uh, ah. the time is, is is over and it's time for us to move on with our ideas because I had to protect our families and our living by making our own tackle. And Don Green left the company and then it was a new owner, an investor. And i seen these days, I saw investors coming into companies and then suddenly they changed also the distributors. I mean, we, we've been working very hard for, say, 16 years. Right. Made a fantastic job for them, marketing thousands and thousands of fly fishing clinics and everything. Okay. But I, we felt unsecure. What will happen? Right. Will they respect the handshake, the new guys? We didn't know that. So we had to secure ourselves. And then we, we, we said, okay, let's design some rods of our own because we know exactly how they should work. Okay, so it was a very So we friendly. did that, and then suddenly they see this, and, and uh, okay, so you're going to compete with us. No, we're not going to compete. This is another price, price range and everything. So we, anyway, we, we agreed that, that, that they had to move on with theirs. I mean, th this is happening in, in, the, in the lives, in the companies and in, in private. Suddenly, people is divorced. Time to go further there, and... It has happened also in our history and in my personal history throughout the years. Uh, some things doesn't work any longer. It's better to take a, a, a logic decision and an intelligent decisions. We don't come any further with this situation as it is. It's better for, for both parties to continue our own journeys, so to speak. Yeah, it's natural. Yeah. Very it's natural. natural. And th that happened. And that happened later on after... Then it was another 16 years when we sold and, and worked with the reels. When the reel manufacturer's son took over, so, and then he wanted to uh, have a higher margin himself or whatever, but he wanted to take care of everything himself. So then 
Then we also separated and then we decided, okay, then we go on with our ideas and they can continue with our own ideas. Right. This is development, it's evolution, whatever you call it. Right. I remember when I was, I would have been 20 years old, so 12 years ago, my first spay reel that I owned was a loop spay reel. Mm-hmm. And it was, I think it was the Evotech. Does that yeah, sound right yeah, back then? Yeah, this was probably 15 years ago since we started it. And I remember you guys started to really get a footing in North America. And then for me, in, in my head anyway, you guys really blew up after you sponsored the Trokebum Diaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I think that was very good uh, thing. And do you know what that happened? What? I got an email from a guy called, I think it was Chris Owens. Chris Owens, or, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. or Ryan Davies. Or, or I think it was even Ryan Davies. One of them. N- nevertheless, I got an email because that was when we started this lodge here 30 years ago. So I think it was t- this 10 years ago or something, or maybe a little bit later. Anyway, I got the email from, from some kids that was going to make films. Right. And uh, can we come and... and, and fish in your lodge day when you have no clients blah, blah, blah. yes of course I said on the Rio de Degos? yeah here right here Las Petras so I said yes of course it would be what are you guys doing ah we are making we will try to make films wow I said that's that's interesting I said you're welcome I come this Saturday because then we have no no tourist day or leaving and, and we are changing day so I go up to the gate, you find Las Petreras, uh, ex- explain why, where. Out was a jeep with a tape window, four kids, dirty, smelling. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> so, come on, guys. So I took them to the lodge. Ah, they were like this. And this was the loop lodge, but then, you know, I had a lot, lot of loop tackle and everything. So I took them onto the river and we were fishing, we were catching trout. And then I said, before the tourists was coming, I said, Show me something in, in your computers. And, uh, yeah, do you want to look? Yes, of course. That's why I invited you, for God's sake. Give me, give me a look. And then they showed one was falling off from a, from a, a, a branch, and one, one guy was sleeping on the, in, in a backpack on the street, clearing up in the morning. Some bear cans came out. And I liked very much what I saw, because I was worried about the future of fly fishing, because I saw... We needed some young influence in the industry. Uh, we, I see the skateboarding. My son Rick and his boy uh, surfing and skateboarding, and it, it was all this. But fly fishing was coming behind. This was the first pictures I see that was not an old guy with a tie. Suddenly, these guys come with something that felt fresh. I said, "This, this is nice. Stay here with us two days." Yeah, but Christy, you have your tourist. I mean. Yeah, yeah, I fix one room for you. You have some addresses. You have to, to split room for, for four. But I have one room I can fix for you four. We put addresses. You can have showers. You can, you can. I would like to show this material for our tourists. See what they think. Oh, yes. Are you sure? Yes, of course, I said. So they stayed a couple of days. And people, ah, they were laughing here in the, in the lodge in the evening. You guys are cool, blah, blah, blah. That's how it started. And then, <clears throat> then they went back. And I gave them uh, roads, reels, lines. I said, this is, this is the guys. And then I sponsored them. Then I said, oh, Christy, we want to go to New Zealand to make a film. And we have no sponsor who can help out with this. And I asked Joran and Tony, my, my partners, no, we don't want it. So 
I fixed it anyway, <laughs> because I wanted them to make that film. Uh, I rented cars in New Zealand, and I, I, I fixed them over and, and uh, get it going. Wow. So then they made the next film, so I totally take care of that. Then all these films that came out on the market, yeah. now they were using loops. It was a win-win situation, of course. But I, for me, honestly, for me, the most important was to get out with something that is cool. And I, yeah, I, 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 I don't remember who it was, but they had some bungee jump there in New Zealand. And one of the guys, just when one was leaving, he was actually airborne half a meter. Then Chris Owen said, if you die, can I have your loop prints? No. <laughs> then you see a finger in there, upside down. <laughs> And that was, they made so many things natural. Mm-hmm. It was not the manuscript. It was just happening, 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 happening. It was real life. Yeah. yeah. Then I took them to Jurassic Lake as well. This was the same year we found uh, this lake that was absolutely crazy. Right. So I took them to Jurassic Lake the year after, and then we were filming Jurassic Lake as well. And, but uh, at this point, you had a lodge. Did you still have the lodge in Norway? No. So you sold uh, that? <clears throat> Norway, I left, personally, I left Norway 1990. Okay. Because I was tired of catching three salmon per week. Ah, uh, right, right. It was right. a lot of work, you know, yeah. but I was not lazy. It's not like that. But also, I would have continued today if, if that was only chance you had in your life. Mm-hmm. But then Glasnost came in, in Russia. And suddenly I read in a magazine, Russia opens up for blah, blah, blah. And I was beginning to look at the map. A friend of mine, mine we were looking called Johan Abelson. He found a guy that had been having hunting trips into Russia. And he knew about some rivers. He said, oh, you must go. This is, this is uh, maybe the, the, the holy grail of, of salmon. So, of course, that's when... So, I, I forgot about Norway. I went into Russia. Ah. Backpack, up to Arkhangelsk, go out to the helicopters. Hello? Can you take us fishing? <laughs> so then, in three years, we were up on the south, what should I say, from Kola Peninsula, south of Kola Peninsula, that land, it has 50, 60 salmon rivers. Coming up, Christer opens up to me about his struggle with the Russian mafia, his split with Loop, and the story behind how he discovered and developed lodges on both the Rio Gallegos and Jurassic Lake. By the way, cheers. <laughs> so let's go back to your gear here. Mm? Mm. Argentina makes the best wine. Yeah, this let's... is nice. It's really nice. Um, so when you sponsored the Trout Bums, for me, it was one of the best. In my opinion, it was one of the best things that you ever did. Yeah. All of a sudden, everybody in my age group, anyway, was paying attention to you guys. Yeah, that's how it changed. It did. And I remember very clearly meeting you at a Denver trade show. And this is what I was talking about the other night. And and being so nervous to speak with you because I also wanted to chat with you about, spo- you know, maybe sponsoring a film. Yeah. And you passed me that chewing tobacco, but you didn't tell me not to swallow it. So I'm trying to have this business meeting with you. I, I, I make excuse for that. Oh, how disgusting. I think I threw up actually that night. But, um, I was rude. These days, I was young and rude. Now I'm old and rude. <laughs> old and rude. <laughs> but seriously, though, it put you on the map for me and my friends anyway. Now, from there, Loop started to really brand themselves 
as kind of the the cutting edge younger generation brand of choice. So you had all the other companies who were maintaining their marketing and, and still kind of appealing maybe to an older market or to an mm-hmm. older audience. Mm-hmm. But you guys were coming at it, everything seemed to be innovative and cutting edge and even the jackets had cool designs. But what happened from there? Because I know that you, you sold the company, right? Then new partners came into the company and I didn't see my own ideas was possible to fulfill any longer. So gradually, I must uh, admit that I lost a little bit of interest in, in, in the company. And, and uh, now it's a new owner from Canada and, and uh, we don't have really the same ideas about this. So again, it's, it's maybe best that the company can continue itself and I can continue mine. But <laughs> you are one of those men who can't sit still. And you're, I mean, even in this interview, you're, you're so vibrating with energy. I want to talk about what's next for you. Do you still want to work with Creating Gear? I know you're still doing some work with that, right? Yeah. When I left Loop, I, I, I think I, after that long time, I had to divorce uh, because... Not I Anna. Did, yeah. Not I Anna. Did, uh, <laughs> with, with the company. Yes. I, I didn't find uh, my ideas was not listened to. Okay. Maybe I am a stubborn, uh, crazy guy. I don't know. But we didn't have at, at all the same ideas for the future. And I love tackle. I love adventures. I love that part. That, that's why I started this. Right. I, hate, I hate to sit and do the other part of the world. It's, other people is superb. A thousand times better than me doing that. But I like to go to sleep thinking about a new innovation, a new handle, or, or uh, some new road guides, or, or maybe in a river where no one has ever fished. This is the energy for me. Right. And it was not the same energy any longer, because I couldn't find that energy any longer. Because I couldn't, I know, whatever idea I come up with, uh, I have to explain it in a way that, that I could not. So then I find it easier and better for every part that that loop continue in a new way and whatever they do it's 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 up to other people now uh, and I decided I I must go further on and I have my son Richard and I have Stefan and Bay and we created a new company based to begin with then I have the young people with me again that that can um, that is super good anglers they can photo and they can write like gods. And they are fantastic. They give me so much energy. And they push me and it's positive to me and my ideas. But we, we have a very good uh, relation of uh, how we work. We have been working now three years. And uh, we, the, I send them out to do all the exploring that I did when I was young. I was out exploring Russia. I was out always with a backpack trying to find this. Now I send them. But in a, in a more controlled way. This is solid adventures. Solid adventures. So your company now, I mean, we're at, I know that when I book through you, it's through solid adventures. Yeah, I changed name because Loop Adventures was never Loop. Right. Loop Adventures was me. Right. That was a, a, a separate company. Mm-hmm. So I thought when I started Loop Adventures was because on these adventures, the best place you can learn about fly fishing is having a lodge like I have. Here, take here or call up an insula. I was working 16 years. Mm-hmm. People from all over the world is sharing ideas around the dining table every day. If you're a little bit smart, you listen, 
and you get influence and you get ideas and and uh, it's it's a fantastic atmosphere to to both test your ideas and learn about other ideas and also get pictures and also as a testing ground for tackle because i already the first when we were driving home from the mountains from the beginning i understood one thing i said to my wife i said one thing we are going to supply the hardcore adventures the, the true adventures but we must also supply the tackle that can make their adventures enjoyable we must also supply how to we must also help them when they come there if they are not as good caster as I am catching a 13 perch <laughs> then <laughs> then we must also supply these three legs is the three legs everything should be based on Tackle, adventure, and, and instruction. So how did you go from Sweden and Norway into Argentina? Because, uh, and that's a long story that came from Russia, actually. Let's start at Russia. Yeah. So Russia began in 1990, and, and because Glasnost, and, and it opened up for, uh, for foreigners... So I, I simply wanted to find the, the lost frontiers for, for, for someone. My idea was to find something fantastic, build something fantastic, and let other people come from all over the world to enjoy it. But under the regulations that we could control traps, nets, uh, we could uh, create other so sort of incomes to, re to rescue the rivers from poaching, from netting and everything. So instead of the, that the local people was, was killing everything, we could have tourists that was instead paying them a lot of money. And then, uh, then it was a win-win situation. Sustainability. Yeah. So, but we didn't find anything for three years out there. It was nets. And, and I was even accused in, in the daily magazine in Arkhangelsk with a photo of myself for being uh, not a fisherman. But I was there searching for diamonds. Then, <laughs> th then, then, of course, it was the diamonds, the true diamond searchers that putting out the nets to, to finance their, their, their searching for diamonds. So anyway, then I hear a call up in Israel was uh, Frontier, uh, it was actually Tim Radjev and uh, Gary Loomis that begin in, uh, in Ponoy River. Oh, okay. That was Tim Radjev that was uh, the first there. And, and Gary Loomis was involved somehow. And uh, there was a Finnish guy called Eero Pettersson and an American called Bill Davis. They, they were the two pioneers of Kola Peninsula. They were there before me. And they tried to set up camps on the Kola Peninsula rivers. With the Russians? With the Russians. So when I come in, it, it's many rivers there. Then there was one river called Umba River that... Um, now it was first, it was Strelna River that was on, far out on Kola Peninsula. And I went up there taking a chance. And I got this contact with one guy that, that was running the fishing shows in Strella. So I had a meeting with him in Murmansk, and I signed documents. Okay, uh, can we go look at the, the shows, fishing shows? Yes. In the middle of the winter, we were running helicopter two hours down to this. I met all the people that live in the village. We had some vodka, some speeches. And I signed an exclusive agreement for that camp. To do what? To run it? To, to run it and to bring tourists. Okay. So we looked at the river and we agreed six, six tourists per week, no more for exactly this river. How many years? That was 93. Um, but how many years did you have a lease for? Ten years. Ten years. Ah, nothing less than ten years, otherwise it's based. 
Yeah. <clears throat> and then I came there in the spring, my first group. It was four to eight people in the camp right. fishing. There was also many other exclusive contracts written oh. from Italian people, from Austrian people, from Germany, oh. from America. So it was a big fight. And um, uh, the guy who, sh- who drove me out, was, uh, his name was Svet Kolosian from the fishing consoles in Varsuga River. Okay. And he was laughing in the helicopter. He said, you don't know what you expect. No, it's, it's a nice river. I said, oh, you don't know what you expect. And he was laughing like, uh, like a pig. And I said, oh, shall I wait for you? Yes, please do that. I ran out and I saw all these people. I just, okay, everyone for me, come, we go to the helicopter. So I emptied Strana camp and I lost a lot of money. I, I Where did you bring everybody? Where did you put them? Then Kalushin had a river called Strana. Okay. And, uh, sorry, sorry, Varsuga. Mm-hmm. And the river called Umba. Okay. So, so I said, Kalushin, help me. We have clients here. We, this is this is just history. I lost a lot of money, but where where can we go fishing? Uh, you can come to my camp in Varsuga. I said, okay, thank you very much. You don't have to pay anything. Can we do clients? I understand your situation. He was a nice man. So we went there, and we were fishing here, catching salmon every second cast. It was heaven, and it was a, and and it was a, a fantastic place. Then he will begin to talk to me about the Umba River. Then it happens like the Umba River was run two years before me by these two guys, Bill Davis and uh, and uh, Eero Pettersson from Finland. Bill Davis from America. And <coughs> they could not decide. <laughs> it, it was the last dinner they had. Then Bill Davis said to Eero Pettersson, uh, I'm sorry, Eero. He'd been working very good two years. You have to leave the camp now because I managed to get myself an exclusive deal. So you can... Bye-bye. And then Eero Pedersen said, What? I have also an exclusive deal. <laughs> so they were looking at each other's papers. But they failed with payments or something like that. So Kalushin is just off with them. Kristen, take over Umba. Then I had Umba River. One of the best rivers ever. Still one of the best. And then two years later than that... It was a fight. Then Bill Davis and Eric Petson went up to another river in Northern Kola. First, uh, first it was Varsina, then it was Kalovka. And then they had another fight there, casting stones such as other, and uh, uh, Finland people was there casting rapalas, and the <laughs> Americans came there. It was a mess, a mess. So then the Russians, they stopped everything there, and they come to me again. I said, Christer, what do you like uh, to take over uh, Kalovka River and Rinda River? Maybe I can can we go up and take a look? So went up with the helicopter, take a look, yeah, yeah, I can fix this. So then I had Rinda, Karlovka, then I find another river there after called Yokanga. Uh, yeah. And they also come to me. Christo, we have another river, it's called Yokanga. Oh my god, I want yeah. to there so bad. Yeah, let's go take a look. And every time I took a look, I always looked with my fly rod, of course. That was how to look at the rivers. <laughs> How many can you catch in one hour? Boom, 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 boom. That is really difficult research. Very difficult yeah, research. Really difficult, yeah. <laughs> and it's hard work. Yeah. It's, it's not for everyone, I can tell you. It was some mosquitoes and stuff that, that really was terrible. Yeah, real tough, real tough. So, wait a second. Now, were you getting the exclusive contracts? And when yeah. I say exclusive, I mean the actual for real. Yeah, exclusive yeah, yeah, contracts. Yeah. We, we made two real papers. But who were you stuff. dealing with? The government? The mafia? Who were you dealing with? 
The fishing consumers on the South Wide Sea Coast was Svet Kalushin. He was, you can call him mafia, you can call him uh, legal or whatever you like, but he was the king. Okay. The king of the, uh, the South Coast. The North Coast was another story. Because there we had to deal with the Northern Fleet, because it was 10 kilometers zone protected area for the Russian Northern Fleet. Oh, okay. There was the Salmon Lodges built. So we have to get approval from, from them every time anyone was coming, sending passport numbers, and it, it, it was a lot of mech, a lot of work. And then uh, that became very, very popular, and a lot of talk. We created a lot, we made magazines, and we made films. Uh, even we got rewarded in Chicago Film Festival for some of the films. Right. From, we call it uh, Atlantic Sandman, The Last Kingdom, we made from the North Coast. So it took three years. Then I got a very strange phone call from some Russian guys. Then I had to drive up in the middle of the night, in middle of December, myself. I didn't tell my wife where I was going because I did. <laughs> she would not. She would have locked me in the, into the toilet or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but I, I was going up to have a meeting with a so-called businessman. So I come to my mask with a bus transfer from Luleå, 17 hours, dark, 24 hours dark in the middle of December, come to the uh, bus station, limousine came up, Igor mm. with a machine gun under his uh, tight vest, <laughs> came and visited, oh, Christer, have a seat. I thought we were going to, into the village. Then we went out outside the village. It was running and it was running. I said, shit, this is not good. So we came far out uh, outside the city. We come to barn. I was completely alone. <laughs> Thinking then, you're going to die, basically. Yeah, yeah I, I, that, that was it. I mean, I, uh, the papers we made were so good, so they could not take the camps. They could not take it. Right. So then, but they wanted now suddenly to do something else. They put me out, came out in the barn. Six people were sitting there. I don't know if everyone was named Igor, but they looked it like Igor. They were big... Pinstripe, super tight, too much vodka under the vest, and machine and, guns. <coughs> machine guns, the whole program. Then he said, Yeah, Christer, you're a very good man. We like to run the camps. Can you please take this money? Then I had, I think it was one million dollars or something in the bag, 500,000. I didn't count, to be honest. It was a big, big bag of, of cash. And their business suggestion was, we buy your camps, you have invested a lot, we know that, we know that you have been working very hard, you have made these rivers both famous, and, and you have protected them against poaching, you have done a fantastic job. But it's time for us, it's Russia, you are not from Russia, Christel. This is military zone, it's our military zone. We can take care of this to make sure you can run this as long as you live. Um, so take this money for your investments, then you take care of bringing the tourists. We take care of making sure that you have tomatoes, you have helicopter fuel, you have everything you need to make the tourists happy. And I, <laughs> I must admit, it was quite attempting. I mean, fucking, excuse me. Big bag of money. But one million, ah, big pot for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking, Shana. You know, I couldn't do it. Why, though? Because what about if 
I didn't bring the number of, of tourists that they required. What about this? What about when they raise the price of the two miles? Christian, now you have to pay $8,000 per client. You know, they, they could do everything t- to make it impossible for you to continue. Right. So I said, no, 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 take the money. I, uh, I'm happy as it is. You're welcome to be my guest and hunting some after the season is over. Uh, I think Mr. Igor should take me back to Ogdemir Mask in my hotel. And they were shocked. I said, no, are you serious? Because this is the mafia, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 He, out, 100 kilometers outside Murmansk, on, oh, on the countryside. Right. So, and I couldn't do it. And I said, shit, am I going to die or not? I don't know. Anyway, I just played again. And I said, okay, drive me back to the hotel. This is boring. Uh, it's no more. Sorry. You know me? Call me if you like to come and hunt and fish and everything. But the tourist season is this. You can come before, you can come after. And you don't have to pay. You're my guest. They drive me back to the hotel and I was, I was scared. So I checked in, took my passport, ran to the next hotel. I checked in there, ran to the next hotel, checked in there. So now I checked in in three hotels. Then I called a friend I, I know in my mask. said, Volodya, I, I need to sleep with you tonight. So I was even scared that they could listen on the phone calls. Oh, that's what you were doing. Okay. So I said, and then I said, hey, can I sleep with you tonight? Tomorrow afternoon, maybe tomorrow morning we can have breakfast and we can have lunch. Then I need, I, maybe you can fix a transfer for me. When I came to Volodya, I said, you have five minutes to find a guy that drive me to, to Kirkenes in Norway. From there, I fix myself. Choo, guy came after 10 minutes. I ran out. <laughs> and that was, next season was 97. But so you got home okay? Yeah. yeah. Were you, weren't you scared? I didn't say a word to my wife. She doesn't know this. Okay. I hope she's not listening. Weren't you afraid to go back? No, 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 no. no. Why? But did you own the actual buildings? Or did you yeah, just yeah. own the rights? I, I own the rights. I own the rights. The leasing rights for, for all these rivers and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't hear anything. And I booked people in. So next season, 97, then I had arranged so we could have uh, the helicopter fuel uh, to a place close to the camps. And one, two months before the season, I got the phone call from our guys up in Murmansk. Ah, the road is, is destroyed. Oh. Uh, we cannot get the fuel out. Okay, next week, oh, the driver died. Not died, but he, he couldn't drive. He was sick or something. Then the next week, it was something, 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 something. So we could never get the fuel out there. So now we have to run the helicopters with half tank to come to Murmansk and come back with half tank. So that that spices up the cost quite considerably. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and it was problem with licenses. It was problems, problems. On the north coast, on the Rinda, Kaloka, Litsa. This, from this then to escape from this because I knew this is it's over it's a bad start yeah, yeah it's over I, I need to get someone in uh, to take care of this so I called a client of mine that was fishing with me in number his name was Peter Power okay okay this is so cool mm-hmm. so then I called Peter Power I said Peter this is my problem I cannot afford uh, to take care of these problems because uh, 
we need to talk with, with, with the governor, we need to talk with with some certain businessmen, we have to talk with the border guards, we have to talk with the northern fleet, we have to do tons of things. And I cannot continue, I'm sorry. You have the money and you told me once in the camp that you are interested in, in helping out or whatever. Buy my camps, take over them. Here is exactly, I told him exactly all this, so he knew exactly what happened. So he arranged meetings and, and uh, make all the money here and there, what's, what's needed. And then he built the Atlantic Salmon Reserve. Right, was that his yeah. idea? If he talked about that many years, uh, all this Salmon Reserve as whole Kola Peninsula. But he was so turned up after he was in Umba with us about all our ideas. And he, he really went into it. And uh, he had a lot of money. He didn't have... He sold his company, had a lot of money. And this was something that he really was burning for. And he had the cash to do it. Mm-hmm. I said, better you do it. I can't do it. I'm sorry. So I kept Umba. And then I started upper section of Ponoy for some more years. But I left the Northern Territory and let Peter Power take care of that. Right. And he did a fantastic job. Yeah. He sold it to Russia now two years ago. Three yeah, years I ago. heard that. Yeah. I heard that. But, so uh, how did you end up in Argentina then? Because uh, at this point now, you've sold your lodge in Norway, you've gotten out of Russia, you, I know you, I know you're an adventurer, you must have been wondering where else you could go to sort of put a stake in the ground. You know, 16 years, every summer, every whole summer in Kola Peninsula, means that there was no summer in Sweden. <laughs> and then we bought a little house out in Stockholm Archipelago. Summer there is June, July, August is fantastic. And so I was beginning to think, okay, I, I, you get older and, and, you know, you need also to be more, more together with your family and your wife and everything. So then I heard about this river down here, which is January when we have snowstorms in Sweden. Right. So I figured, and at the same time, Umba went lower and lower number of fish because poaching. And I was fighting that very hard with everything I could. I even hired Oman soldiers, but we had one car exploding. <laughs> <coughs> and um, You mean somebody exploded your car? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, in the end, I had two machine guys, people in the, in the bus the last year. And I got some strange phone calls that uh, to be careful wherever I was, blah, 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 all this. So I said, okay. And, and the number of fear, we, we, it was three mafia groups that was poaching Umba. And I tried to kill them. The, the, the mafia in Kandalaksha, the mafia in Petersburg, and the local police. <laughs> so, you know, I was pulling up their nets myself, and they had guns and everything. But why were they poaching? To sell the fish? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just truly yeah. poaching. They had divided the, the lower river below us into three sections, so they had a weekly rotating scheme. I discovered that after a while. So, first week... Uh, the chief of the police of the lower section, Candelaxia Mafia had a middle section, Petersburg Mafia had the upper section, then they, then they changed week by week. And, you know, we did everything we could, but the number of fish went down, 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 and I, I simply had to take a decision. And it was um, uh, the last year we had some very prominent guests in, in Umbalot, uh, very high up people that should have get give, given some reactions in Russia was the highest people in Sweden and also in Russia that I had as guests. And I told everyone, no netting for whatever you do. We need fish. This is PR worldwide. And the ambassador, 
the, the Russian, Swedish, the Russian ambassador for, that was working in Sweden, he hooked up, up internet outside the lodge. No. And I said, nah, oh, nah. Now, if they, if they cannot show more respect than that, that's fine. The river will die. So then, at the same time, that was 2002-2003. The same time, I hear about this Gagos River because there was a camp up here in in Rio Gagos by these days called Bea Vista. Okay. And a friend of mine was fishing there, and he had 36 sea trouts, and showed me the pictures and said, "Wow, where's that map on the table again?" Before it was in Arkhangelsk area, then it was colder. Now <laughs> I get turned on again. <laughs> I said, "Oh, where's the map?" And then I was looking at the map, and I found this uh, next to Sunset below. I wanted to go below. So I threw some channels. I don't know how it happened. But suddenly I got in contact with the owners of this Estancia Las Pulteras. So I suggested uh, us to meet one week, and I bring my fly rod. And maybe we could set up some tourism. Yeah, he was not keen on that at all, I can tell you. But okay, you can come. Because I had some other contacts that was pulling from, from uh, different uh, places. Because an Estancia owner is basically a sheep farmer, or not a yeah. farmer, but a sheep, uh, he, he owns a bunch of property where sheep are raised, is that right? Yeah, the, the, these people uh, that owns this Estancia, this Estancia is 110,000 hectares. Oh. That's huge. So and they have four more. That? How many kilometers of water is that? Yeah, the, the river that is inside this property is 40 kilometer. Whoa. Uh, but when I looked at the map, I didn't look only at the map from top. I looked also from the side. Where is the dropping points? So I saw that, that the, the most falling part of this very quite slow river actually is here. Is this 40 kilometers. So that, that was an obvious uh, thing that you uh, wanted. Yeah, so it's so, like a forty-kilometer trough where the fish are going to hold. Yeah, uh, exactly. This this is. Then we have to go far up in the river. Then we have similar drop-offs. So here was absolutely the gold mine, as I saw it, and I was right. Uh, then I went down, and we were. He didn't know anything about fishing, but then um, we, we were sleeping in his house. I had a couple of friends with me, so we were fishing. We caught so many. Sea trout, it was ridiculous. And huge and, sea uh, trout. Uh, and I was, I was, I couldn't sleep, you know. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. So, <laughs> give me some more wine. <laughs> you know, I was absolutely destroyed by this river and, and the potential here. So, I, I, and I didn't know how, how can I convince him that, that they need us for some reason. Yeah, because really, so, why, why would he need no, you? No, He's they, got money. It's they not like you're babysitting the sheep. He's got the gauchos. How did you? And he doesn't care about conservation. I don't think, did he? No, they have no clue what's in the river. So what did you see? The then? river is water for them and 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 for uh, for Estancia. Yeah. No, I don't know. We we, we got very well together. We, we he talk Spanish and I talk English, yeah. and we <laughs> we talk all evenings. We didn't understand a word what everyone was saying. Now he have learned English, so now we can have talks. I have not learned Spanish, which is the most embarrassing part. But now we can communicate. But these days, I was talking a lot. I had no clue what we were saying. Right. But we had fun anyway. Yeah. Uh, we shot some animals on the tundra uh, here, and, and uh, we were barbecuing. And then it ended up that he, it, the foreman that is running this estancia, his name is Roberto, fantastic guy. He said, if Roberto agrees that you will come here with tourists, I'm okay with that. 
But Roberto have to agree because he is in charge over the sheep and we don't want to have any disturbance for the sheep or the animals along the, in our estancia. And then I said, but it can be the opposite, I said, because I've seen cars along the road that is trespassing on your land. Mm -hmm. And I guess that they are killing a lot of, of, of baby sheep. Oh, very smart. Of lambs. Yeah. If we are here, you will, you will maybe have 10,000 more lambs per year because we will protect it against poaching for fishing. But at the same time, we will also protect against poachers to kill lambs and take, take things from your property. That he liked also. I bet he did. <clears throat> so then Roberto was coming here. Ah, Christo, I want, I want, we had a barbecue out here, some wine and tomatoes and uh, everything was so, so nice. I said, ah, Christo, I would like to show you the river. And he came with two horses. <laughs> i never seen a horse on a postcard. I would love to see oh. you ride a horse. <laughs> and I, I looked at that big animal. I said, okay. And we were riding along the river and... Uh, then I signed a long-time lease, yeah. uh, and then we had to take a decision where to live. Then it was a train station up there. It is still a train station, uh, quite much longer from the river than this, because this building we have now, that was only a concrete platform. Okay. There was no roof. Everything was burned out. So it was just the foundation of a building. So you paid to build a lodge, really? Then I said... I made a deal like this. It's very simple. And it's no secret either. I said, I build the lodge. You own the lodge. It's your property. I bring the tourists. So I did. That's a great deal. Yeah. It's excellent. So how? Yeah. when was this? This was 2002? This was 2002. January 2003 was the first season uh, we had here. When did Jurassic Lake come into play? 2006. So how did you find that? You were living here, obviously, during part uh, of the year. <laughs> There's a story I can tell. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was four Argentine people that booked the trip here. Oh. Yeah, they four fly fishermen from Argentina, and they used to go to Cola Peninsula, and they know who I was, and I know Loop, and they know everything. So they booked here. But funny enough, they were not interested in fishing. Why? Uh, no, they came with all their tackle. And they came with our catalog. And they wanted to learn more about tackle and, 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 and if they, what they'd like to buy. So they had, they had a wish list from our loop catalog. Uh, can you describe this? I was sitting in the lodge with these guys a whole week. Uh, talking about jackets, talking about backpacks, talking about rods, talking about lines. So they had a wish list that was huge per person. Then they wanted instructions out in the yard. So two, three, four hours per day, we were practicing in the yard. We were practicing in the river. Then I come into the lodge. And then, then after, in the end of this week, one guy pulled out from his wallet a picture with the, 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 the biggest rainbow I have ever seen in my life. He said, this is a fantastic lake, he said. What's that? I said, it's a lake called Lagostrubel. Right. Where is that? Hey, forget about it. You cannot get there because you need a helicopter. But I know the guy who has the helicopter. He's a good, good friend of mine, and he's the richest guy in Argentina. He has the San Ramon Ranch in, in, in Santa Cruz. Uh, okay. So they were friends with him and fishing in Santa Cruz for steelers. 
So they have used his helicopter and his pilot to go to Lagerstubel, and they said, it's impossible to get there. So there's no lodge there at this time? There was, there was nothing there at all. Just huge fish? Yeah. So then one week after, or two weeks after, we had low water condition, and, and it was bad condition for here, for, and, or I think it even was too much water, so I figured it will take three, four days till the river is fishable. And I said, ah, let's go to, to, to Lagerstubel and see if we can get there by car. So I, <laughs> and I packed the car with food and compass and maps and everything. Yeah. You drove from here? Yeah. We, yeah. How far of a drive? That, that drive took, took 12 hours. And <laughs> the thing is, everything was settled and we were just about to leave. Then the estancia owner here came to me and he had all his family with him and I said, Oh, Christer, uh, we, we like some barbecue tonight with you and blah, 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 blah. Ah, and you cannot say no to that because I'm a guest here in, in a way, you know, so I have to be very polite. So that was Tim Pask from America. <laughs> <Yes>. Oh, this <laughs> um, is how you got to hang out with or got to team up with Tim. The, Tim was hanging up later with truck bombs because of this. Okay. Mm. But Tim was a guest here, right? Right. So I put the team in the, in, in the car. And I put it guy, another guy, two other guys from Sweden. I said, guys, here's the map. Off you go. Here is my film camera. I see you in three days. I need to go to have a barbecue. But find this lake and see if there's any fish there. Amazing. What and an then, opportunity. And then Tim Pask, he was writing a funny story in one of these mag- online magazines. And they, after nine, ten hours jumping in that car with blue eyes and you know there was no road bang 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 <laughs> then they made a list how they should kill me when they come back <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was really tough things there i can tell you but that was on the way there on the way home it was completely different yeah i bet uh, they, they had uh, i think in two hours they had 70 uh, rainbow trouts uh, around 10 kilos each but why are the fish so big there because they, they implanted, first of all, there's no other fish in the system. And this, the lake is quite big, it's 20 kilometers times 20 kilometers. And it has uh, small shrimps, billions and billions and billions. And no one has eaten on these shrimps ever. So the estancia owner there, there's three estancias around this big lake. They put it in some small rainbow from Santa Cruz, the steelheads. Uh-huh. They took steelheads from Santa Cruz. Their idea was to... to Put them in and see if they grow, and they could uh, harvest and sell. But you cannot harvest in that big lake because the waves is one meter, and it's blowing hundred kilometers, and is 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 nearly impossible. So, uh, but there was smaller lagoons also around there with small streams in between. So all these lagoons around Lago Struber was this. So when we come back with all these films and everything, I said, guys, not a word about this. First of all, we must rename it. Let's call it Jurassic Lake. Uh, we cannot tell it, 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 it the real name until we have some contracts so we can control it. Because we, we were so keen also to show everyone it, it was a sensation, right? With Tim, I mean, Tim's an excellent photographer. Yeah, was he, he taking photos? He was taking photos and he was filming with my film camera and everything. And everyone was, we were shocked over, over what we found. That was a good man. And then... Uh, I said, okay, you sign here. You don't say a word about this. We can talk about this lake, but we don't talk where it is. 
and the name the new name is Jurassic Lake because people will remember that name much easier than Lagerslobel. Mm-hmm. So I nicknamed Argentina one of big lake in Argentina to Jurassic Lake and people were it didn't take more than a few months. All over the world people were approaching me. Where is this lake? And I yeah it's in Chile. I said, no, oh, it's in the land of fire. No, it's in Iceland. <laughs> <And> yes, <laughs> I almost said different to everyone until the papers were secured. It makes sense because I remember when that lake came to light. I remember when I first heard about it. And I didn't know where it was and I, I didn't know the story. I just knew that there was this huge lake and I had to go there. So then what happens? No, then, then uh, I bought, I bought some. Yeah, I bought some uh, tents uh, like they have on the polar expeditions here on the South Pole. Big, uh, like globes. Right. Super nice. Built uh, wooden platforms. Yeah. And we had nature toilet. Some pumas around the camp. Oh, there are pumas there. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Are there still pumas here? Two hundred kilometers up is full of pumas. The mount uh, where this river is born. In Penitent uh, and up in on the Chile side, and, and the river comes actually from Chile, uh, three hundred and seventy kilometers from here. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. And on that small little mountain stream, up in that mountains, is absolutely full of pumas. Now, again, I know that you can't sit still, so you've got Stefan, and he's out exploring right now. Exploring, taking photos, making films. He and Richard do all the writing, the web, the marketing, the writings, everything that I did once, they do. So what's happening in Cuba? In Cuba we also have, yeah. So and we also have a camp in Los Roques. We also have a camp or a big boat in, in Papua Guinea, Indonesia. In Papua New Guinea? Yeah. You know that's my dream, is to catch a black bass, right? <clears throat> I, I have this... Uh, I, I cannot tell you everything. I know, I know. This is exciting, though. We have lots to talk about. And then we, Rick and Stefan is just back now to New Zealand from New Caledonia, where we look to set up some operations for wading, for catching GTs and the biggest bonefish in the world. Then we have something going on uh, later on in, in Costa Rica, and we also have a new thing going on for, for crystal clear streams in the, in the mountains here for uh, Dorado. So is this where you're going now with your company and, and yourself? Are you trying now to focus less on gear and more on adventure-based? No, I, I still have the same as from the beginning. <laughs> I still have the same ideas. I feel that that is a must for me. I must, I must <laughs> give people a chance to have the tackle that is needed to have a good vacation. There's not the spare part shop around the corner for once. And if you travel 500 million kilometers, why miss the chance to catch a fish with three meters too short cost? Three meters out of 50,000 kilometers travel is ridiculous. So, therefore, we will not make tackle that is for a super professional, double hauling, triple hauling anglers. We must make something that is easy for our customers, for the people who have one week vacation, they come to the dream, they should be having a tackle that is really, really easy to use. It's much more important it's easy to use for them than for the professional anglers because they have tons of rods and sponsors on here and there. We need to make tackle for these clients that is coming to the lodge and it should be strong 
and it should be super easy to cost with. It should be super balanced. And of course, after 40 years in this industry, I, I think I know where I can make this tackle. We will have a small range of tackle that will be offered together with the tool, and they can buy it from us. We will have maybe four or five dealers that can help the customer directly. But it will not be a mass brand again. It will not be China. It will not be in this country. Handmade in America or Europe. Are you going to call it solid? Solid gear. Have you started already? Uh, we are. Uh, we have been working a year now, uh, nearly a year. Uh, we design. It's we jackets is more or less ready. And I mean, take a jacket. It's, it looks like a stupid thing, but I, I go. I can go complete bananas over small details that is not working. Because when you're out there, suddenly you stand with a fly in your hand. Why, why do you have that? And why is the plier flying in the air, hitting you in your face? And <laughs> all these kind of stupid details that... It looks to me that far too many people is designing things that have never been out. At least not out here in the wind or, or, or other places. So I cannot help myself. I must, I must use what I have learned these years uh, because I love to do that as well. I, I'm a maniac for, for tackle. You're like a mad scientist. Do you have anything else that you want to add? Uh, no, it's it's. Uh, yeah, of course, we can sit there fifty hours more. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you go into details in Russian and everything, but th- that that can be another time maybe. We can do a second. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you have any questions for me? Yes, what do you like this place? I love it here. I really love it here. The thing that's special about this place, it, obviously the fish are amazing, but there's a really, this is going to sound bad, okay, but there's this eerie romance to it. I really believe this place, it's almost haunted in its own way, yeah. and you're driving down the road, and it's so barren, but it's so lively. So you've got Rhea running everywhere, and you've got hares here, and then you've got these crazy birds and just cliffs and hills and caves and knowing that there's pumas around and the wind. I actually don't hate the wind. I thought I was going to end up hating the wind when I was here two years ago, but you almost learn to love it because it's all part of being in Argentina and the fish, Krista, honestly, no exaggeration. They are the most amazing sea run brown trout I've ever seen in my life. They're some of the most amazing sea run fish I've ever seen in my life. So at this point now, I've caught enough steelhead and salmon to be able to say that I think I know what I'm talking about when it comes to anadromous fish. And these fish here are world class. Yeah. Like, they're uh, ass kickers. I agree. I really feel like I leave as a better angler, too. I just feel like I'm I'm a better that, angler when I leave here. That I can say 100% sure. That there's not a single angler that's come here. That is not why it's as good when they go back. <laughs> because be. the environment, you need to, to learn. Yeah. And this, the, the guides, they, they, they force you to learn. And every session is completely different. Yeah. Completely. It's, it's the river with thousand faces. Sometimes I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I love it so much, I, I, I would like to just sit down and never leave it. Yeah. But when you when I'm out there and hate it, when the wind comes absolutely wrong and I see this fish, I know if I get the fly just one meter more, I will catch him. And I can't do it. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, next day, it's so easy. 
ah, nine flies, and you bam, bam, bam. Yeah. You see these guys jump. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I must say, of all, all places, all camps I have ever explored and being in, this is for me by far number one. I simply love it uh, so much. That's why I've been here now one month in a row. And, but now I must get home and do some work also. <laughs> well, thank you for staying long enough and extending your trip to do this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and April, I, you asked me before if I would like to ask you something. I must admit that you have grown as a person so much. When, when I met you two years ago, I didn't know really what to expect because I met you 12, 13 years ago when you were a kid. Yeah. And I put some snooze to you. And I didn't take it really serious. Now what I see you're doing, you're like the Trump arms. That's, what I, that's why I like to support you also the best I can because this sport needs people like you, young people that is doing a fantastic job with... with uh, bringing people into fly fishing and uh, making it interesting. I, I looked also at, you know, TV shows. You have grown so much. I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you. And you were so lovely when you were here last time. I said, is that the same April Walker? I, mean, I remember she was a kid and I, I didn't know where, where she... I didn't really understand what, what is this. But your, your way now, where you have become... I am deep impressed. Thank you. Well, I can and hear. I admire you really much for, for what you're doing. You thank should know that. And not only me. Rikker and Stefan also. <laughs> well, thank you for believing in yeah. me. It's people like you who let me. When you guys believe in me, and you did. You were there for me back then too. People like you helped me continue to want to grow. So thank you. Yeah, you did a fantastic job. Well, I love you much. Oh, Thanks, Esther. Uh, really appreciate it. Great thank you. <laughs> And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in again soon.